The Right Hook Podcast. Make business sense on the road with the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater SUV with low BIK, 200 euro VRT and a five-year warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Monday. It's the right hook, and it's news talk. George Hook here, and uh, I've got some of the things that really got me going today on today's programme. Well, uh, it's great to uh, be back, and my thanks to Shane Coleman and Bobby Kerr, who so manfully stood in for me uh, during my holidays. And... uh, they, uh, I was in the Portuguese Algarve where I first went for all of 47 years ago on a sort of delayed honeymoon. Uh, in 47 years ago, uh, there were no flights to Algarve from Ireland. Uh, there were no motor cars. There were hardly roads. Uh, and it was a bit like sort of West Cork in the time of Michael Collins. Uh, what had changed today? And it was extraordinary. What did I do? Uh, I did nothing, which is my basic plan on a holiday, is to do uh, nothing. On recommendation, I read I Am a Pilgrim. Uh, Really enjoyed it, I must say. Um, A very interesting style of writing in the sense that it's kind of three books in one. But uh, it was uh, really good. Any highlights? Uh, well, uh, great. There are a number of great restaurants, and one of which is run by a, a great uh, Irish woman, Jackie Pierce. It's called Casa de Campo. And if you're in the Algarve near the, the town of Almansil, Casa de Campo will be well worth the visit. And Jackie uh, will look after you. And it's great to see Irish people doing stuff uh, like that. And uh, it's very Irish now, I can tell you, the Algarve. I think there are more Irish people uh, in uh, the Algarve than there are Portuguese. The other the other interesting thing, of course, is that they've got a minority government as well. And they are beholding, uh, I think, to a pretty right-wing uh, or party. Uh, the economy, uh, not great. Tourism, absolutely crucial. And I must say, um, there, there's a great sense when you're in Portugal that the Portuguese people actually appreciate that you're uh, uh, spending uh, uh, money for them. Lovely Ingrid in good form. It was very nice to me for every single day. And uh, I enjoyed it. The great news, of course, when I was over there, and now, of course, you, you with the wonders of television, you get 9 o'clock news and the 6 o'clock news. And... Uh, I've, I was astonished when Enda led the team into the doll. I thought the women were never going to stop coming because, of course, he rather cleverly uh, packed the beginning group uh, with with females. Uh, he hasn't got his fem- famous uh, 50% uh, of the cabinet, but, I mean, it's a great start. There's some, there's some outstanding women there and, indeed, outstanding men. I think we should worry less about gender now uh, and get to the point where really uh, we have the best people for the job. How are we going to, how is this going to work while we're in uncharted territory? I don't know how it's going to work. I'm not sure they know how it's going to work. Um, The suggestion that uh, 
Ender had sidelined Simon Coveney uh, to housing and Leo Varadkar uh, to uh, social welfare. I don't think holds up because I think ministers make a portfolio. And you saw, for instance, how Alan Kelly uh, did it in, in first of all, uh, transport and then in local government. I, I think the battle for the leadership of Fine Gael, which is on, I mean, it started the day Ender was elected Taoiseach, because he's not going to lead Fine Gael into the next election. It started, so watch this space. We'll be talking to uh, a person who is one of a small number of people, a minister on first day in Dolairn. It's a minister, Catherine Zappone. That'll be about... Uh, five o'clock. Um, one person has has really battled on in in this homeless crisis, and he's never stopped talking about, it and he's never stopped using important words like emergency and crisis. And here's what Father Peter McVeary had to say. It envisages taking housing away from the local authorities because the local authorities are very reluctant to build social housing and to manage social housing and to give the responsibility for housing to a housing executive, as happens in the north of Ireland. Uh, I think they are proposals that are really very, very, very uh, well worth uh, our society discussing and, and debating. Well, this, of course, was a proposal by the Workers' Party with its idea of solidarity housing. I mean, first of all, the Workers' Party uh, has no role in government, so it's not really going to happen. But it is incredible that we we seem to think that it is impossible for a government to build houses. Um, In the 1930s, this country, which was, you know, to all intents and purposes, bankrupt, was building 12,000 social houses a year. Uh, the, the centenary of the rising, when Ireland had the worst slums in Western Europe, uh, the new young government, well, young governments, really, uh, of the between 20, late 20s and 30s, were building houses. And I just don't get it, how a government can't build houses. It's just beyond me. And uh, I really hope that we're going to see a change. And I do think that uh, Coveney can do it. I really do. I believe that Coveney will bring an energy uh, and intelligence to the job. And we have to wait and see. Now, there's an interesting text uh, because uh, uh, Damien Hetherington is off to uh, RTE because boasting about my trip to the Algarve for the next two hours and talking about you. I talked about it for two minutes. Like, who doesn't... Anybody who can tell me doesn't talk about the holiday, please send me a text to 53. Mick in Dublin says, Kenny has no mandate. Heaven help him on his first no-confidence vote. Well, the whole point, Mike, is that there won't be a no-confidence vote that can win because Fianna Fáil has agreed to support this government. That's the point about it. Uh, so, it's going to last. How long? don't know. Alan is asking me about uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Connacht Rugby. I mean, it's a phenomenal uh, performance, really. 
uh, to to get a home draw. It's going to be a sellout. And I tell you, uh, somebody who, who spent a lot of time there in Connacht Rugby, sellouts in the, the, the sports ground were few and far between. It's going to be fantastic. This Damien guy is back again. You never shut up about Barbados. Never been to Barbados, Damien. Sorry, try again. Any other bees you can think of? Ballyhornis, Ballydehomp, Ballymon, <laughs> the Bahamas. Haven't had a try, Damien. It's only 30 cents for a text. Keep banging on. It's great stuff. And uh, and thanks to everybody saying welcome back. ton of stuff in from Twitter. The old Twitter machine is going mad. Um. But the dangerous dogs thing is really interesting because a signpost has been erected in County Meath reminding owners of certain breeds of the regulations they must uh, adhere to. Now, Alan Tobin is a Fine Gael uh, social uh, councillor. He went on social media about the sign and also the issue of how dangerous dogs could still, however, be kept as pets. Here's what he thought about. There's an awful lot of abuse, which is, you know, look, you're going to get abuse and bad language and whatever else from people. And OK, it's, it's, it's unwarranted. And I've had a lot of messages, a lot of, of emails and things from people saying, look, I support you. Look, it's important that we do actually highlight these things. I, I don't know about taking it down. I mean, look, if you, if you believe in something, if you believe that by striking up this debate and this has been debated all over the countries this morning, I'm, I'm really surprised about it. Well, I think it is. I cannot understand. Um, how some of these breeds are actually allowed because they're actually dangerous and it's in their DNA. Like pit bull terriers, their great-grandfather was a killer and then you'd suddenly expect that the great-grandson of killer pit bull is suddenly going to be a sweetheart around children uh, and so on. And there are tons of breeds uh, like that who are dangerous. And... All too often we read about particularly children, but not just children, as savaged by these dogs. Uh, I mean, I'm against dogs full stop. I don't get the, the whole thing about pets. But certainly if you're going to have a pet, at least have a pet in your house that you can feel confident uh, your children are going to be safe, not to mention the postman. Anyway, uh, Donald Trump is off now. He's uh, He's got the Republican nomination locked up. He's now started his attacks on Hillary Clinton, uh, and in which he talks about Hillary enabling her husband's infidelity. Um, here's what he said. She's married to a man who is the worst abuser of women in the history of politics. She's married to a man who hurt many women. And Hillary, if you look and see study, Hillary hurt many women, the women that he abused. She's married to a man who got impeached for lying. And she's gonna take ads about little Donald Trump? I don't know, I don't think so. And Hillary was an enabler, and she treated these women horribly. Just remember this. And some of those women were destroyed not by him, but by the way that Hillary Clinton treated them after everything went down. Um, this is a very difficult one because 
um, when you look back, and and uh, a lot of people will forget. I think it was Monica Flowers when when Bill survived. Jennifer Flowers when uh, Bill survived. I think it was New Hampshire primary. He didn't win it. I think he came second, and that's when it was the comeback kid uh, phase. I remember Hillary on television saying talking about she wasn't. Um, stand Tammy Renette and stand by your man but the reality of it is of course she did stand by her man uh, and many wives do and particularly political wives do uh, Mrs. Uh, John F. Kennedy Mrs. Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, and many others so I think uh, to particularly label Hillary out. Uh, if Hillary is to be the President of the United States, she should be judged on her political talents and no other. And uh, they, they, more than half, of, this is a, I heard this one today, that more than half of our secondary school students has said that social media is affecting their, their schoolwork. Of course it is. I mean, the amount of time that children are now spending uh, on uh, the the social media is quite extraordinary. Uh, the amount of time children, well, I'm talking about babes in arms. Uh, extraordinary. I was sitting in my seat in the plane. Sorry, Mr. Hedrington, I'm going to talk about my outlet. Interesting, Mr. Hedrington is a taxi driver. He wasn't complaining when I was supporting the taxi drivers. Anyway. Anyway, um, this lady comes in babe in arms, and the baby was months old. I doubt if it was a year old. It had a phone, and it was swiping the screen. Now, I think that if, if you've been swiping screens since you were in nappies, of course it's going to affect uh, your schoolwork. And Mickey Mead said, well done, George. Your ignorance shines through again on the topic of dogs. Well, interestingly, Mick is a mead where they are concerned about breeds in uh, dogs. And did you rent a bill in Almancy, George? If so, what would you recommend? Uh, I wouldn't know anything about renting villas, but uh, I can help you out with other information. And uh, did you forget Elisa Florek, George? She stood by her aunt. Elisa, of course, the good wife! God, you're so right. Yeah, yeah, but she gave him a hard time. Anyway, and she didn't get him elected and all sorts of good stuff. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie uh, Sabina Higgins is the wife of the president and she has uh, said that it's an outrage against women that they're made to carry a pregnancy to term in the case of a fatal fetal abnormality. Um, there are a number of issues here. Uh, obviously, one is that is it an outrage, but probably more importantly, it is, of course, the, the fact that uh, although not constitutionally banned, uh, Sabina Higgins is the wife for the president and is in a special position. I'm joined now by Senator Ivana Badgick, Reed Professor of Criminal Law at Trinity College Dublin. Senator Badgick, why congratulations on your re-election and welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, George. It's very nice to be on your programme. My first time on since uh, my re-election. I'm right. absolutely thrilled to be re-elected and uh, uh, represent Trinity graduates. So. Uh, the Oris has had a bit of a habit of 
poking its nose in affairs uh, since President Higgins was elected. I mean, he, he hasn't been backward in talking about a lot of things that people would consider uh, breaching his constitutional position. It's interesting that his wife is following suit, is it not? Well, George, I would say that uh, this issue of uh, presidents speaking on on matters of public interest, in fact, dates back well before President Higgins. I mean, uh, I'm old enough to remember the controversy around President Mary Robinson uh, and taking, I think, what, what many saw as a much more active or proactive role for the presidency than had been expected of a president before that. Now, at the time, I recall she was criticised by many. In fact, now I think most people accept that, you know, many of her interventions were very timely and very So you think the president uh, of Ireland should, uh, it, I mean, and I want to get to the real argument, but sure, but you actually yeah, you yeah. actually think that the president should intervene in matters in political matters? Then no, no, I don't for a moment. As I said, okay. but as I said, there have been issues raised okay. uh, in the public domain about okay. presidents making right. comments or you know president yeah. uh, uh, presidents okay. doing things that perhaps well, weren't. Let's get to the we're more of a wife. public interest than previously. But absolutely, of course, the president has a constitutional role, and one has, and has to be very careful of that. This is of course a different matter. Sabina Higgins as the wife of the president, has no such constitutional impediment in terms of speaking out. But she is in a special position. Well, I mean, I've I've certainly attended many functions at which she has spoken over the recent years, and I've always thought she was very, she was careful about what she said. I think the reports of what she said, uh, I think it was after a debate uh, around midwifery issues organised in Trinity last week, and I wasn't there, but I did see the reports in the papers today, and it seems to have been a remark she made following the debate, um, and a somewhat off-the-cuff remark that I think has been somewhat uh, misreported. I mean, she was making a general comment about women, it appears, about women being forced to carry pregnancies to term where they, their pregnancy had a fatal, fetal abnormality. Now, the word, the idea of women being forced to, I think, is a key issue. Clearly, um, you know, it's a devastating diagnosis for any woman and indeed for any uh, father, a prospective father, to find themselves in. And I know people who've been in that awful position of being, of receiving a diagnosis of fatal fetal abnormality. It's an appalling situation. But not but, everybody. But say, George, not everybody. Not everybody. But of course, people will deal with it in very different ways. Exactly. As isn't as that as the point? Right. What yeah. the president's wife said, and I accept that uh, the reporting of it, but she did say that it was an outrage against women. Now, it may be an outrage against some women, but it wouldn't necessarily be an outrage against all women because many women would have a different view to the president would, and to you on the issue of carrying uh, a, 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 a fatal well, fetal George, term. I should say I have no view on what people should or shouldn't do. I think it's an yeah. appalling situation. I'm a mother myself. I can only imagine the awfulness of that yeah. diagnosis. So, of course... Nobody is suggesting for a moment that there's any, uh, you know, that, uh, that there's any judgment being made on anyone's choices in that situation. But there but think, is. But George, if you look at what Sabina Higgins says, what she or what she's reported as having said is, there has to be that. I'm just reading from the report. There has to be the choice that you know that what do you call it? That fetal abnormality that the person or persons should be made carry. These are really outrages against women. So what she's suggesting, I think, or what she was suggesting, was that where somebody was made to carry a fatal fetal abnormality, where they hadn't chosen to, that that would be outrageous. And I think that, in a general sense, displays a compassion towards women and, indeed, men and their partners and their families in that awful situation. And that's the sort of scenario that, you know, Graham Linehan and his wife recently highlighted, that we've seen the very brave women and men who make up the Termination for Medical Reasons group, that they've been highlighting their own awful situations 
situations where they chose not to have to carry a fatal fetal abnormality to term, a pregnancy to term with that diagnosis and where they went to England to terminate, that they had to go to England, that they were forced to travel. And that really is the, I think, the, the compelling issue. That but you see, I actually, strangely enough, normally when I have you on, it's sort of we kind of a row. Strangely, I, I'm, I'm not having a row with you because what you are saying in, in many ways mirrors exactly what I feel. My concern is that in the case of the last referendum on the issue of same-sex marriage, there was a definite sense that anybody of conscience who decided to vote the minority view, as it transpired, the minority view, was in some way deranged uh, or in some way uh, didn't have, you know, wasn't modern or whatever. And we saw that where major public companies entered the, the debate uh, on the side of of, of the referendum, uh, whereas we have to assume a substantial proportion of staff might held that view. I'm just worried that this referendum will go the same route that ordinary, God-fearing, conservative people who have a particular view are actually portrayed as in some way retrograde. Well, George, if you don't mind me saying, I mean, you, you've jumped several... No, but that's why I'm concerned about there, the president's I mean, wife. Well, first of all, there is no referendum on any issue yet, or, yeah. or, or been called, or indeed in, in prospect, on the issue of the Eighth Amendment, which I think is what you're talking about. Yeah. There's certainly no referendum been called on fatal fetal abnormality. Certainly I am one of the many people who would like to see us have a referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment so that couples with the sort of awful diagnosis we're talking about would not have to be forced to travel if they wish to terminate. And of course, many, many couples choose not to terminate and to proceed with the pregnancy knowing what the outcome will be. So that, And that absolutely should be their choice. But the problem is for now, women and men in that situation in Ireland do not have the choice to terminate the pregnancy here in Ireland. And that's the wrong that I think, or the, the outrage that I think Sabina Higgins was rightly expressing compassion about in an off-the-cuff Mark. And I think I don't see that as being a, a problematic uh, expression of view. I certainly think it's a huge leap to say that somehow that means that in any referendum, anyone who disagrees with the repeal of the eighth would be somehow denigrated. I don't think that's right at all. I mean, first of all, we need to have a big debate, a big public debate okay. about the referendum, about having a referendum. And then, of course, a debate about what it will mean. So, you know, we're not in that frame yet uh, by any means. I certainly hope we'll see a referendum being called in the near future. But, you know, Sabina Higgins' remarks are not in any sort of referendum setting. And I think she's simply expressing compassion about a very real situation for so many okay. Irish families. All right, thanks so much, Sandra Ivana Batchek. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie All right, um, the... Uh, Councillor Alan Tobin, uh, who's a Fine Gael councillor me, was talking to Jonathan Healy earlier on on the lunchtime programme about dangerous dogs. This is what he had to say. There's an awful lot of abuse, which is, you know, look, you're going to get abuse and bad language and whatever else from people, and okay, it, it, it's, it's unwarranted. And I've had a lot of messages, a lot of, of emails and things from people saying, look, I support you. Look, it's important that we do actually highlight these things. I, I don't know about taking it down. I mean, look, if you, if you believe in something, if you believe that by striking up this debate, and this has been debated all over the countries this morning, I'm, I'm really surprised about it. Now, this is a sign warning people about dogs um, of a certain breed. Uh, what they 
the uh, high-risk dogs. The councillor had put those uh, up, uh, had taken upon himself to do it. I'm joined by Frida Gorman, veterinary nurse and dog groomer based in Trim. Frida, what's your reaction? Well, I think the post has definitely has, you know, in science, um, a lot of people have got really cross with this post. But I actually think this man's heart's in the right place because I was very cross until I heard him on News Talk. And that's why I text in, because I think he actually has, he has a good idea. He just has gone the wrong way about putting it out there. I mean, these dogs are restricted breeds. There are not, they are not dangerous. There are no, there's no dangerous dogs out in Ireland. There's a restricted list. You might give me a couple of examples of restricted list. Well, the Akita, dogs. the German Shepherd, the, most of the Bull Terriers. Um, you see, these dogs, they, they do make good pets, and that was the problem, that he said these dogs do not make good pets. Any dog makes a good pet, George, if the person works with the animal. I mean, you get these dogs. These are very highly intelligent animals. They need to be properly minded, for want of a better word. You can't get this dog, you can't get any dog, in fact, put out in the back garden. You know, that's my prized dog. It cost 800 euros. Isn't it lovely? Like, that's not that's not how, you, how to have a pet, and most people know that. But sadly, some people, they just have the dogs. I don't know whether it's a status symbol. I don't know, but they don't you know, they don't deal with the dog the way the dog yeah. needs to be done. Well, they don't uh, deal with training, interaction. They don't socialise the dog. And the dog becomes a problem. The dog is barking. You know, the neighbours get cross. It's a bit of a vicious circle. The but dog, uh, if, if um, uh, DNA surely is important. If DNA is important in humans, it's important in dogs. And Jerry Kiernan, the Irish marathon runner, was training in, in uh, uh, the Phoenix Park many years ago, and he was attacked uh, by a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Uh, and I'm going back over 20 years, but I can still remember it because it was a terrifying experience for the runner. And then what happened was this Ridgeback, was with a rather elderly couple and the lead ran to something like 80 yards or something. Okay, it, yeah, the flexi leads. Yeah. Right? Now, the Rhodesian Ridgeback, Ridgeback, you know, is a trained hunting dog from Africa. Correct. It is it trained. Runs, it runs to catch its prey. It, it yeah. saw this gazelle of a man and it thought it was doing the right thing, you know? Yes, well, that's my point. If you, if if an elderly couple have a Rhodesian Ridgeback who's trained to pull down humans in flight, uh, as it happened in the case of Jerry Gurnan, almost uh, biting him on his most treasured possession, um, mm-hmm. in, in, then in, this is the wrong animal for the wrong couple on an 80-yard lead. Yes, I, I agree with you on all of those points, but, you know, Again, as I always say, life gets in the way. Like maybe this couple didn't go out and choose this dog. Maybe their maybe their thirty year old son bought this dog or got a present, even worse, and then maybe emigrated or had to move to Cork or moved to an apartment, couldn't keep the dog. You know, these this is what happens. As I say, life gets in the way. People end up with dogs that they did not plan to get, and often that's the problem because they're not the right. It's not the right connection. The dog isn't right for the person. I mean, everybody doesn't sit down and think. You know, spend months debating what kind of dog they're going to get. Like most, nine out of ten people, 
They just end up with a dog. The neighbor. No, but also, Frida, um, because it might just, I'm terrified dogs. So there's no way a dog's going to be in my house. I'm scared. Oh, that's of dogs. such a shame. Yeah, all right. But is it not true, for instance, that in many cases, children will say, I want dog for Christmas? Then dog arrives at Christmas. Child gets tired of the dog after 48 hours. And mm-hmm. the parents are then responsible for walking, talking, and washing the dog. Yeah, I know. And that's why pans are full of dogs in January and February, because children do get fed up with dogs. And I have to say, I admire the parents that say, no, if if they don't want a dog, a, a dog shouldn't be for a child. A child is not is not capable of minding a dog. They're capable of helping with the dog and taking responsibility. Did you feed the dog today? Has the dog been out of the before you went to bed? But they're not, a, a child cannot own and fully care for a dog. It's just a child isn't capable of that. Definitely until they're, you know, a young teenager, young adults. And that's, now, that's just my opinion. Obviously, people would disagree with that. And some younger children are very good at dogs, but they can't be the sole owner and responsibility of the dog. So there has to be a family. It's a family pet. It's for everybody. It's for taking it in turn. It's for taking out for walks together. It's for, you know, brushing it when you don't feel like it. Getting up early in the morning to bring it out for a walk because you're going to be away for All right, okay. More to it than just... All right, that's, a dog. That's, uh, that's my opinion. All right, that's all very nice and congratulations. And tons of people sending me texts saying I'm in Egypt because I don't know anything about dogs. Yeah, but is it not like every time we read in the paper of of a baby or child who has been savaged by a dog? They're not usually Cocker Spaniels or Jack Russells or uh, Black Labradors. Isn't that so? They are, when these tragedies happen, they are invariably from dogs who have a DNA of, of hunting or killing or fighting. Isn't that so? Yeah, that is true. But also, you know, other dogs can do that too. And I mean, my... My blood runs cold when I look at pictures, uh, mostly on Facebook, sadly, or on the Internet, of, you know, dogs lying on children's beds, dogs lying in the pram with a, with a baby. I mean, that is so wrong, and that is putting a dog in a situation that a dog should not be in. Look, I love dogs. I have worked with dogs for 30 years. I would never leave when my children were small. I would never leave them alone with any dog, not even my own dog, ever, ever. If I leave the room, either the dog or the child comes with me. Never. But people do put dogs in that situation. They do put children in that situation. And yes, the phone can ring, the dinner can burn, you can turn your back for a second. But that's really not when it happens. I think a lot of those dogs are, you know, they're in situations that they shouldn't be in. They're confined. They're possibly not neutered. They're frustrated. They're living in areas that they're, you know, they're they're in a small yard when they need a lot of exercise. They're not taken out regularly. They're possibly on the wrong food. You know, there's a lot, maybe there's a lot going on in the household that the dog is stressed by and he doesn't know how to let it out because he can't go out and run 20 miles because he lives in an apartment or, you know, a little yard. So there's always a lot more to that than just nine out of ten dogs will not just turn around, you know, and savage a child. There's usually circumstances there. Well, Andrea is sorry that I have lost out on experiencing the unconditional love and joy that comes with sharing your life with a dog. I don't want to share my life with a dog. I want to share my life with a woman. Well, that's that's your choice. I mean, I yeah, that's what I mean. That is my choice. I also love dogs, but it's only people who really want dogs should get dogs. That's 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 the main thing that a lot of people have dogs. You know, that they're just not really sure about... Yeah, but Andrea Andrea thinks that I'm too self-centred and selfish to own a dog. 
Well, I have no opinion on that, George. I don't know you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the one thing I did say in my previous text was, I think the biggest shame about all this debate is that this man, as I said, has the right idea. He's keen on the licence fee. He wants that to be enforced for better care for dogs and better, you know, uh, education for dog welfare. I'm all for that. I just think it's an awful pity the laws are not enforced. I see dogs, I, okay. whenever I'm out driving, I see all those breeds out walking. I have never, I think I've met the dog warden twice, and I know the dog wardens are very overworked, they're very understaffed. They can't be going around checking on people. You see, you know, it's up to people themselves okay. to abide the law, but the law is not, it's like the dog poo, it's another big debate, everywhere you go now, covered right. in dog poo. You know, it's just such a shame, like, dog owners spoil it on themselves. Right. And a lot of dog owners are fabulous. I mean, I have fabulous right. clients. Nine out of ten people are brilliant okay. with their dogs. They love their dogs. They clean up after dogs. All right. It's a very, very small minority. And sadly, right. it's got such bad press today. I mean, I don't like to see right. dogs being degraded like that. All right, Frida. Thank you so much. Frida Gorman, veterinary nurse and dog groomer based in Trim. Ingrid has been looking at the research in this matter. And apparently she can shoot an electronic tablet into my ear and find me if ever I go astray from the house. However, me personally, I remain and committed non-dog lover. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie I'm joined now uh, by Colonel Tim Collins uh, because the British Prime Minister David Cameron has suggested that peace in Europe could be at risk if Britain leaves the EU. Colonel Collins, welcome to the programme. Thanks, George. Long time no here. Yes, indeed. <laughs> now, the whole purpose of the original uh, European community was to prevent war between the age-old rivals who'd been at war with each other for centuries, Germany and France, and they've been good boys. They haven't gotten to war since. So that means the EU is a good idea. Uh, is Cameron wrong? Well, it's, it's actually an economic community, ultimately, and one which the French um, kept the United Kingdom out of for a long time, uh, until 1973. Of course, NATO exists to fulfill the charter of um, both um, preparing or, or binding the, the European nations into a military pact and ensuring that... Um, the possibility of war is down. But I think, generally speaking, he is wrong. I think the the world has changed greatly since the end of the Second World War. It's been affected by the Cold War. And I think the prospect of uh, that happening is most unlikely. And certainly, the European condition, the European state, is unlikely to prevent that, where, for instance, countries in, say, the, the east of Europe to become um, more right-wing and militant. Yeah, but the tensions between... I mean, the two big players of France and Germany, um, as they always have been for centuries, I, I put it to you, you know, um, never have France and Germany been closer in, in, in any way in, in their history. So therefore, if suddenly the Poles or the Czechs or whatever suddenly decide they want to start some kind of war, it would be a very different Europe but France and Germany in, in the position they're in. And the, the way they have proved in almost every single crisis, uh, they've been uh, did them, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. I think to understand, I mean, that's one of the things at the heart of Europe uh, is that to understand the relationship between France and Germany you need to go and visit Verdun. And you see that in 1916, 
both nations set about to destroy one another. And that house somehow has brought them very close. But the point is, it's a relationship that dominates Europe, which the United Kingdom is not part of and is not influential within. And therefore, the removal of the United Kingdom from that wouldn't have a significant effect. What it may do, though, is cause other countries, notably Holland and the Czech Republic and others, to consider their membership of the European Union. So it might be a catalyst for the breakup of the greater union. But leading to war, I don't think so. But do you think that this is an indication that Cameron is worried? Um, And I mean, it's surprising he would be worried that given the major opposition party in the UK, Labour Party, is also campaigning to stay in Europe. This sounds just a trifle like a sort of panic measure by Cameron, doesn't it? Well, I think you're right, George. You know, I mean, you say that the Labour Party are campaigning for Europe, uh, you know, here in London. We haven't heard from them. Um, last seen um, at the London mayoral elections, but they've been very low profile. Uh, Really, um, this does look like desperation on behalf of the Prime Minister, but I'm afraid his advisors at Number 10 Downing Street have been getting it consistently wrong. Their approach to the, um, for instance, the Scottish referendum was not handled adroitly, let's say. They didn't do a good job there, and I don't think they're going to do a good job here. And both in the Scottish referendum and the European um, referendum, they've resorted to the, t- the tactics of frightening people into the status quo, as opposed to talking about the benefits, about what's good about being in Europe, what's beneficial about being in Europe, and why it would benefit future generations to stay in Europe. But it's very, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the most important point you just made there. That's a very important one. The problem for Cameron is that he's got a kind of two-faced argument. In the one sense, he's saying, look, we're not happy with Europe at all. We don't like it. We don't like Europe, and we want to change deal, and we want this, this, and this. But then he's saying, we want to stay in. So he, 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 it's difficult for him. To... Well, when he went, he went to negotiate in Europe, he didn't get what he needed. And that's yeah. what's put him in a very difficult position. Yes. The UK, I mean, I think you have to look at the UK in the context of it's still a global trading nation. It looks outward. A lot of Europe doesn't. Um, the, the close links with uh, Commonwealth countries like Canada and Australia and New Zealand, and, of course, trade links with um, increasing trade links with places like Latin America, which has got a, a GDP three times the size of China, but with 20% of the population. This is where the UK is looking. And, of course, the UK is not part of the euro. And that, that's, uh, the, the, so we need to, he needs to be looking for the positives why UK should stay in Europe as opposed to trying to scare people into not moving. Although, Tim, um, interesting Phil Hogan, our former minister now in Europe, he, he, I mean, for us, and something you're very familiar with, of course, uh, as, as a colonel of an Irish regiment, um, the, 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 he's suggesting that the Irish border could become a Calais. Um, I mean, that, for us, looking at it very narrowly, uh, this wouldn't be a good idea for us at all. Well, I mean, there's a lot of this is more part of the, the scaremongering. I mean, the Irish border has always been there, and um, even at the, the worst parts of the Troubles, uh, it was pretty porous. Irish people uh, tend to come and go. And it's a long way round. If you want to infiltrate the UK via Ireland, you've got a, a good old journey on your hands. And of course, Ireland's Ireland. You know that, that um, I, I think that we've, we're always close neighbours and friends, and, and, and let's face it, relatives. Uh, I, I don't think it'll make that much difference. You know, honestly. Um, 
you'll still be able to spend euros in Belfast and um, you'll, you'll still be able to change pounds very quickly in Dublin. Yeah, so, um, you know, you're living in London now. What's your gut feel of how this is going? Well, I mean, uh, um, the, the dear old Prime Minister, if he's listening, won't be happy, but I think it went from a, a foregone conclusion to staying in um, because of a very shaky and uh, campaign to a very close call, and I think it's edging towards an out. Do really? And that's because the campaign was poor. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Colonel Tim Good Collins there, uh, of course, famously uh, as a colonel of the Irish Regiment for his speech uh, during the Gulf War. Well, thank you for listening to that digest of news from the Daily Right Hook. But, of course, you can hear the full version in all its uh, excitement between 4.30 and 7 every day, Monday to Friday, here on News Talk. Do take care.